Hey, stranger! The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Arkells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thank you so much for joining me. So... You remember that time when I promised you an interview with Toma Mars from Phoenix and I never gave it to you? Well, today is the day that I make up for it. I spoke to him about his spark, which is a relatively obscure 80s British TV documentary about the Beatles called It Was 20 Years Ago Today. Uh, I am so excited about this one. I mean, I love meeting all sorts of artists for this show, but when it's someone whose music I really, really love, I just, ugh, I, I don't know. It just makes me love this job so much. I've been a huge Phoenix fan since they started releasing music, and it was just such a thrill to hang with Tomah for a little bit. This is definitely a case of do meet your heroes because he was just a pleasure to chat with and I'm so happy to finally let you listen to it. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. But first, Toma, Thomas, listen, he's French. That name in French is Toma. That's his name. But a lot of English language music press say Thomas. And I am acutely aware that I'm risking sounding like a pretentious wanker by saying it the French way. But that's his name. It's the same dilemma we all face in the Tovlo, Tuvalu, or Bjork, Bjork pronunciation conundrum. And I always err on the side of saying people's names the way they say them. And if that makes me a pretentious wanker, then so be it. Anyway, that was quite a digression. Quick Toma facts. Toma Mars is the lead singer for Phoenix, a French pop rock band from Versailles. The band first formed in 1997, making this the year of their 25th anniversary, and their debut album United was released in the year 2000. They have since released a total of six albums, including their breakout Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, released in 2009, their new absolutely fucking brilliant seventh album alpha zulu will be released this friday november 4th and you should listen to it at midnight on friday because it's incredible and you will either love it or you're dead to me got it okay Quick, it was 20 years ago today facts. It was 20 years ago today is a 1987 british-made television documentary about the summer of love 
It premiered on the 1st of June 1987, 20 years after the official release date of the Beatles album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and it presents the album as the central factor behind the events and scenes that led to the full emergence of the 1960s counterculture. The film was directed by John Shepard for Grenada Television, and in addition to archival footage, it featured interviews with key figures from the period, including George Harrison, Paul McCartney, Allen Ginsberg, Abby Hoffman, and Timothy Leary. And there you have it. Now let's cut the bullshit and get to the good stuff. Here comes my chat with Toma Mars about It Was 20 Years Ago Today. So, uh, starting point is always just your uh, first experience with it. So, do you remember seeing this documentary for the first time? Yeah. So, it's hard because when you ask what what what's a key moment in our musical life and everything, I'm I'm always trying to think of the band, and uh, because there's other stuff in my life that you know that happened that well instrumental and in, in creating a band and loving music and things but this documentary it was 20 years ago today it was really special because it came out in the late um 80s but we saw it was shown on french tv i think it was 87 it was shown on french tv later like five years later it was the summer of uh, 1992 and um we were just starting the band with its full, you know, everyone, uh, Chris deck and then Chris's older brother who was, I think, I don't know when he was in Darlin, the band that started with Daft Punk mm -hmm. and, but he was thinking to join. He was, he wanted to Svengali us a little bit. He, we were supposed to work on a, on a soundtrack that never really happened. And he wanted to be a, a producer and, um, and that documentary, I was with Chris on holiday in Brittany in France. Deck was in the south, close to Bordeaux, and Branco was in Paris. And we all watched it without talking about it all. We all happened to stump, uh, to see it on TV. And this record, this documentary is about studio. And the next week, we bought a four track. Uh, I mean, it totally changed our relationship with music because we grew up in Versailles, which is a place that's no, you know, music is, uh, is, is annoying for people there. It's, just, it's, uh, it's new music. It, it's amplified music is a disturbance to the piece of, um, so we, we couldn't really play live and we didn't want to, cause the crowd there was not, there was no really a crowd to play to. So we really enjoyed being a studio our own producers you know we wanted to record everything and this documentary we started to understand the just a, a really simple way to explain layers and production and also about the one of the most eccentric records and uh, there are certain moments that are really magical when they it's put together in a very uh the Penny Lane trumpet when they explain how they layered, how how the inspiration came ab about, and and so we really thought like, okay, we were stuck in Versailles, we can't really play live, but we're going to set up our mini studio, our mini factory. Uh, there were other, other bands also that were appealing at the time. There was, I think, like the Beastie Boys would have 
a similar approach to music where they would go to work with, you know, um, almost as like chemists, they would have like these white, uh, and they, and they would take it really seriously. And, and, um, we, we loved that approach. We were thinking the same and we didn't have our George Martin. We didn't have the few people we met. They were so far from being capable to just understand what we wanted musically or how we, you know, the records we loved or so, um, that yeah that's the next day we called each other chris and i we watched it together so we freaked out we his older brother taped it which he knew that it was going to be good he would tape a lot of things and we rewatched it over and over and um and yeah it was uh yeah we bought our four track we started discovering a, you know how to store uh tape how to like handle because you you have a diff it changes your relationship with music from being rehearsing to like making something building having the tapes all of a sudden i was like the guy who was supposed to write the titles on the tape and everything was pretty precious so i would choose my the best font and you're like are you sure this is the title of the song because it's pretty lame to write this down on this tape <laughs> but if so we had a we we yeah it created also a, a relationship a physical relationship a love to like how to make a record how to uh you know since then we make our own artwork we do our, some of the music videos and stuff so it the craft like it really turned on turned us on to the craft of of uh of music in general yeah i i think I mean, there's there's so much in this documentary, not just about the Beatles, but about that time period. Um, but the stuff about the band that really struck me was how unique their position was at that time, that they were experiencing fame that basically no one had ever experienced before in human history. And that intense pressure, the, all of the eyes of the world on them, partially because the channels through which people received music and media were so narrow that everybody was watching the same thing. Everybody had, you know, a, a different musical tastes, but basically all the same access to music. And when the Beatles stopped touring, I had always had it in my mind that it was like, we hate the crowds. It's too overwhelming. And I'm sure that was part of it too. But hearing Paul McCartney say, we couldn't, the audience couldn't hear the music because there was too much screaming and we couldn't hear the music and the music is the most important part. So we became a studio band because we wanted to hear it. And, um, you know, also being, uh, at the time kind of at the forefront of musical technology, you know, looping tape, running things backwards, uh, the kind of early stages of, um, you know, advancements in EQ and reverb and all these things that we take for granted now because it's all, you know, in an app. Um, but really wanting to push the boundaries of what was possible. And like you said, album covers, that album cover is so iconic yeah, And the creation of it, you know, talking about the controversy of deciding who is going to be featured on it. Gandhi and yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's all pretty, pretty mind blowing. Yeah, it's true that 
they, you know, they had the most exposure, so they should have been able to do whatever they wanted. But somehow, I think you're right that the frustration was mostly musically, even though there's all these stories about, you know, the the car to bring them to the show was uh, for convicts because that was the only way to protect them. And, uh, and the speakers were not meant for music. You know, uh, the speakers were for announcements. They're not, they're not, they're weak. It's mostly medium high and high. There's no, you know, Ringo's putting his symbols in a vertical, in a vertical way to protect himself from a, a gunshot or something. They, they're so, there's so few, things that are enjoyable if I, I guess you could cope you could you could still play if if music is at the core of the thing and it's working but it's I think you're right that music was the main issue that it was not creative it was not doing it justice and it was not and that documentary shows how much they love music to a point that they are they are you know, they are so curious about everything and that the studio became a huge part of their, uh, also for it to be not monotonous because if you give up touring, if you give up, you can be so much creative in, in the studio field. And they were surrounded by great people. And then all of a sudden, then, you know, technology is, you know, all the, you have a brand new tape machine that's coming in. We We can get it for, you know, that's something I love about Get Back recently is how to sh- they showed exactly how they couldn't fit in a certain in certain places and how they had to mold themselves to be able to present their music. And they end up on the roof because they there's not really anywhere else they can end up on. Well, and uh it's it's really but yeah, you're right that the weight the weight is immense the choices of you know those decisions uh are you know all the characters putting hitler gandhi uh uh it's it has a it's something that's 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 uh that doesn't really it's not that common today that you have that much that you're the focus of everyone and uh yeah yeah and just thinking about how radical those uh, risks were at the time, I, I also am always amazed by the evolution of the Beatles and how rapid it was. And, you know, Sergeant Pepper is like six or seven years after I want to hold your hand. So it's like yeah. this really lightning speed progression and leading huge chunks of the culture and, you know, taking all of these massive risks, doing things in a way that nobody had ever done before and everybody follows them. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. so instantly successful and so appreciated and that never goes away. It's still held up as this massive triumph and this really key point, not just in their career, but in what was going on in the world at that time. Um, and that's a, a pretty, a pretty impressive legacy, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd love to see. It's true that time, the the, the relationship with time is is totally different from uh, just watching Get Back when you see every day being crossed out. You know, mm. and there's so much pressure on someone, and then you think it's over, but the reality, I think, is like two or three weeks later, they go back in the studio. Um, 
for Abbey Road. And I wish that was documented too, because you know, the every every single event had huge uh implications and and but they, yeah, it's it's uh it's a different relationship with and it's when yeah, in one year, it's also when uh, you you'd know like June 6, 1966, you it's detailed, you know, you you know what they their trip to Japan, you know they take the elevator on. 1109 they're out of the elevator at 1111 then they go out it's uh it's suffocating i'm sure it's uh it's uh and at the same time for us it's the most precious you know you have the it's uh you have the the quintessential uh, uh just creativity in a in a in a in an aquarium that you just just like uh yeah and that's why I, we really enjoy get back was uh was watching after having this relationship in the with the band in the watching the that first video it was 20 years ago today when we watched get back together we we could have wasted so much at some point we we thought like we have to stop because we are we have to make music but in the studio we're talking about this for way too long uh so we're saving it we're saving some from touring uh because it's it's a never-ending fascination that we have for their relationship, the the creative process, and just uh, dealing with so many so many various issues. Yeah, yeah, and I think the combination of Get Back, where you're watching things happening in real time, and I don't know if you saw that uh, series of interviews that Paul McCartney did with Rick Rubin. Where, yeah. Yeah. So it's like on one hand, seeing what's happening, but you're not in their heads. You're just watching them interact with each other and you can kind of, you know, gather as as it gets more heated, as there's more tension, it's more obvious how they feel about things. And then seeing Paul McCartney listen to the music and just kind of have these moments of, you know, recognition and talking through what he was feeling at the time, kind of interband dynamics and um, the creation of all these songs. And I thought those, you know, they, they made kind of companion pieces, um, as, as different ways of looking at the band when, like you said, we have all this information historically about every moment of their career and where they were at, at, you know, uh, on such and such a day, but having the ability to like spy on their creative process and then also to hear them reminiscing about those times and there's a little bit of that in um it was 20 years ago today you know having yeah uh george and and paul talking back through what had happened um but i love that it's it's uh it's it's really uh insightful and it makes me feel closer to the music as well kind of getting it makes take. you by the end yeah i thought when it was coming out i I had seen a few things about uh, here and there about it. I was curious about it. I knew that I didn't expect Peter Jackson to be such a force of like how much he, how caring his relationship with, how protective of everything, even of of the previous director. How he he's not he's saying he shot everything. He, he made it look so good, and he all I did. But besides the fact that it's on a technological point of view, it's really incredibly done i thought that when they'd be on the roof because follows who let it be 
you'd see something that's already that you've seen many times. So I thought it'd be bored to see them, you know, play on the roof that I've seen. But by the time you go through these hours of when you go on the roof, you're one of the Beatles. You have a total different experience of what it is to play on that roof. And you understand like, okay, they need to get that one really good. You see how mischievous people are. You see how like Paul really wants to get, you know, he's checking about the, how they, they're playful with the relationship with the police, how there's, there's a, it's a, yeah, you see it in a different, in a totally different way. And you really care about you're one of them and you're like, you want to, to, uh, you also see the stress of performing, you know, what, what, how for them, it's such a rare thing that it's captured to, and the crowd, the, the place where they played it too, like the, in the middle of a, you know, the crowd that's probably the least excited crowd, you know, people that are, that are there for work and, and, uh, uh, how even when it's the Beatles, some people are annoyed that they're making noise on the roof. You know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> it's this. So for me, it was like a healing because whenever we play music and not to compare ourselves with the Beatles, but when we play music in Versailles, every single person was annoyed to hear music. It's the most, you know, the uh, it was there was no um, tolerance for this. There was no. Uh, so we'd be scared. So we went into our basement, you know, we, we were forced to, we were forced to live inside. And we'd even like had this studio that had, that had so much, that was laid up with so much foam, you know, to make it dry that it created, it killed reverb to certain people like this about certain of our records, especially the second one that it has, it's so dead. It's the most dead. It's, uh, it was not meant to be that it was just because people didn't want to hear music and they would call the cops on us and they would make sure that. So it's by default, all these things. And you see how so many things are luck or default or just a reaction to uh, the environment, which is, yeah, I felt I had my hands while like sweating when they went to the roof. I was so nervous because I could, I could, like still gonna get in trouble like we did <laughs> like you know um yeah time for a quick break because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here but we'll be right back in a way i mean i know this is a very this is a stretch in terms of a comparison but it kind of reminds me of like dogma filmmakers creating these rules for themselves and saying these are the conditions you know like Lars von Trier or whatever you know only natural light um you know what whatever the other rules were um and creating films that are very specific because they have these conditions around it and you know the Beatles didn't have that much stuff uh preventing them from putting their music out you know live or whatever they just didn't want to tour but having a band that exists almost exclusively in private environments and the music comes from a very private place, it becomes very public because people play it everywhere, but they don't play it everywhere. Um, and just thinking about how that impacted the creative process, but also impacted the the finished product and 
whether things would have been different if they had continued touring, if they were dealing with that stress and that pressure in, in the midst of, you know, especially for Sgt. Pepper, putting together this kind of era-defining album where they were concentrating on all the stuff that was just about the music and the packaging and the way that they wanted to present it to the world without having to actually confront people's reactions to the music as much as they had done when they were touring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. I love this, the mystery and the, you know, the, when they're looking at themselves in those fan, fan magazines and they're like <laughs> going through and they have so many things are like off. Or like they, there's all these rumors and things. It's so refreshing to see that there's no, you know, that there's a, a big part of fantasy. You know, there, there's a lot of void that the listener can put down, you know, that you can, even when it's the Beatles, you know, that, that you can, uh, that there's more questions than there are answers, you know, which is not always the case these days. So it's, it's really refreshing to see like uh, that there's room for fantasy mystery. Yeah. It's uh, but yeah, that, that TV show was, was also to see it on TV, I think was special because it, we were bored. We were like 92, we were like 15, 16 and uh, we were bored and it came on and, and this was, there were certain things like that, that was, TV was really boring. There was nothing once in a while I'd see. I was lucky enough that my dad had a satellite dish. So we'd get like 120 minutes, you know, MTV. And so when that came on, it felt like, like something was off with the, like that suddenly there's something for us. But it was rare in 92 that having this, even though it's the Beatles, you'd think like there was, it was rare to have music that was showing yes things documentaries that showed how an album is made how how it had to be the beatles because no one would care if it's not the beatles you know mm -hmm. uh, later on there were other documentaries that were great and there was better channels that we started to you know there's a few that we saw like there's one about craft milk there's one about the beach boys there was one there's all these here but we were craving for these things especially yeah a lot of the yeah, that one, especially for studio and studio techniques and all these, we'd see the pictures, we'd, we'd watch the VHS, we'd, we'd freeze and we'd be like, okay, he's, that's a sweater on his tom, on his drum tom, he's using a sweater. Okay, so we'll put a sweater. We, we, we'd do, so we'd, we'd copy the techniques just from looking at pictures and, and, uh, and because we didn't go to, professional studios were not affordable or they were not, and even if we would go there, it, that'd be so opinionated. And so that's the right way to do things that you'd probably leave with a sense of, I don't want, you don't belong to this thing and you, you're not, it's not appealing. Mm. Well, well, still, if it was the Beatles, there was a DIY thing about this is how you should record, but we're going to try this. You know, we're going to put the, the we're going to put the mic the other way against the wall and then we're going to uh so it's yeah that was that was also um refreshing for us to see that there was not a right way to do things but that the really smart people like george martin and and them were always curious about like messing up with things and trying to find you know something else and and something unusual right and not just being these musical geniuses who had these songs i mean like 
I talk about this all the time, but the, the part of the Rick Rubin discussion where yeah. Paul McCartney says he like yesterday came to him in a dream and he's like, yeah, I just woke up kind of humming this tune. And I said, do you remember this song? And nobody knew what it was. And it was just a song that I like kind of wrote in my head while I was dreaming. Um, so things like that, that are just like, you know, from the ether, they just have these things come out of them that combined with a real curiosity about new technology, really wanting to develop techniques for things that weren't possible, that they say, this is what we want uh, this song to sound like. We have to figure out a way to make that happen and would, you know, do these revolutionary things that people still do today and reference the Beatles as the influence that helped them to, to figure out that sound. And it's, it was completely unprecedented. It was, you know, they were, were really um, pioneers uh, with, with so much of this stuff and so massively successful with it as well. These experiments really paid off. Yeah, there's, there's um, I don't know, at the time we were making music, the, we were lucky enough that even their relationship with Abbey Road was, you know, you should be, you're in the best studio in the world, you should love the experience, but people were not really welcoming them. You know, they had a, they had a hard time just making a place look like a little bit more homey or friendly or, or, but people didn't have access to make music. When we started, the luck we had is that all of a sudden, you know, drum machine samplers, um, there was all these cheap compressors. Uh, there was all these things that were possible to make your record sound good, you know, make your record start, sound interesting and, and, uh, I think a whole new generation of people started making music in their bedroom, which was way more interesting than the music with, that was done in the in the real big studios. That was also comforting us. Watching that documentary was comforting us that we were on to the right thing because you'd be like, if they're not having fun and you don't need a, the reality of like, I want this song to be, have a philharmonic orchestra played and then you hear that pretty much every story of um, a classical musician while just not having joy in playing even the Beatles song, they were, they were just counting money and just waiting for for their, their shift to end and be like, this is not, you know, this is not Mahler, this is not Beethoven, I'm, I, I'm, I have better things to do. That there's a, there was a real a lack of, which doesn't exist as much in the United States, that's something that was really refreshing for us when you started touring here is that how musicians are put on the pedestal a little bit more than anywhere else in the world. That's yeah, that, that was, that was, um, that's, that's something that's, I guess also why maybe the Beatles had, you know, were inspired by all this music. They also, you know, thought when they went to America that, maybe it could be something else than just playing on on uh, those speakers that didn't well not meant for music and ended up in vans for convicts <laughs> yeah and you know like like you're saying i think as technology has advanced it's made it more and more easy for people who to make music on their own without having to spend tons of money without having to know people who are in the industry who can help them that it's all, um, you know, you can 
basically do it with your phone. Yeah. St- I mean, Steve Lacey is number one, I think. And right. He's doing his music on his phone. Right. Which is a great, yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's, you know, when you've seen the dark side of the studio as well, you couldn't even, everything was made so that there was specific musicians that were in France, you had this three guitar players, two blaze players that were on every record. So sure, they were really great musicians. They were really trained, but every record sounded the same. Everything was meant so that it was familiar because it was a guaranteed hit. You know, it was a safe choice to make and you you and the time in the studio are meant for these professional people and not for there's no room for experiencing or there's no time for anything else so um yeah it's it's pretty the fact that you can do something on yeah you make you make a number one on your phone is really is really something i think yeah and now you don't need to be as powerful as the Beatles at the height of their power to be able to do those things. You can experiment, you can teach yourself new skills, all of those things from the comfort of your home. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a whole other episode of like, what's, what's, if it's, I guess what's, what we, what I, I don't know. There's something I really like today that there's no, people seem to listen to everything. It doesn't matter where, if it's 80s or 90s or something, there's no, there's so much music that you can just like, it's a la carte, you know, a little bit. And that does, it's just a quality that seems to be driving a little bit more what you're listening to. But then there's the fear of the, you know, there's algorithms and there's a lot of, there's a whole darker cloud that's, that is so complex that even the people that are making it don't really know how, how, but what what it's doing so uh yeah that's that's uh i don't know what the equivalent would be of today like if i would watch something what would be this you know the equivalent of stumbling upon that beatles documentary would would do if i was eight years old today and what how it would because there was such a it there was a drought you know today is not a i mean Today, musically, is not a drought. There's, I think, 40,000 songs a day being released. Right. So, uh, and that's songs that are, that have publishing, you know. So I don't know when you, how, to, how you can exist when there's not, how you come up with, that's, that's something I'm not even capable of trying to figure out how. But um, yeah, I guess the drought was really helpful for when something comes up, it could be anything. And that documentary was filled the, that, that void. It was like, like, it could have been something else. You know, if it was a documentary about how the punk scene in LA in the, I don't know, 81 or something, we'd, we'd maybe would have embraced playing live music way more than the studio and be like, this is what we were seeking for. And, and, and our relationship with Versailles would have been way more, less secluded, but way more, uh, in your face playing in the playing in on the streets playing in the castle at night which we did later on but yeah yeah i guess it is like you can either have a drought and find this one little pool of water to extend the metaphor um that is this documentary or you can have 
a tsunami of information coming at you and still find the individual thing. And it's all luck. It's just happening. Yeah, the, the random thing. Yeah, the luck is really important. That's true. That's, that's, that's something that's still very um, helpful for us in the studio. That, you know, sometimes people are obsessed with like, well, that's a guitar album. That's a, there's more keyboards. There's more, that's a rock that's sounding. It's just a matter of like that the so specific synth was an inch closer than the guitar. And so it's just like grabbing something. Uh, so yeah, we spend a lot of time in the studio organizing our, you know, palette, picking up the instruments that are around us. And then we, we leave it to the, kind of the chaos that once you chose the ones you like, they are there on you. It's random what you're going to pick and what's, what's going to be on the song or not. Yeah. Well, I feel enormously satisfied. Okay, good. This has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I will let you get to relaxing and I'm sure you can uh, use a rest from talking. So <laughs> No, but it's, it's um, yeah, I, wanna, I think I'll watch Get Back again because that's mm. on tour probably with the, because now that we've seen, I think we need to watch it together because it's such a, yeah, it's meant to, they probably show it. I think they're showing it in theater again, maybe at mm. some point. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank, well you thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. It was great. And now I'm I'm on your I'm I'm um, since I've watched two before. Now I'm I I, I, I keep them piled up. Awesome. Great. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much again. Thank you, Adam. All right. Take care. Excellent. Bye. Bye. <sighs> that was so good. I still can't quite believe it happened, but I am so, so grateful it did. Thank you so much to Toma for taking time to talk to me. The incredible new Phoenix album, Alpha Zulu, is out this Friday, November 4th, and you must listen to it. You simply must. And if it wasn't already abundantly clear, Alpha Zulu is my spark of the week. It's so, so fucking good. A band that's been around for 25 years has no business making an album that sounds so fresh and new and totally of the moment, but they did it anyway. It is just pure joy. I can't recommend it highly enough. Okay, end of gushing. And that's pretty much all I've got for you this week. More excitement next week, though. So... In the meantime, have fun, please. Maybe try to make some new friends or something. Whatever makes you happy. And until next time, bye.